You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, I want you to go ahead. Let's begin by turning in our Bibles, shall we? Let's get used to those wonderful, delicious words. Ah, turn in your Bibles. Praise God. I am so excited about being in church today with you. I, lo- I love this day of the week. It's my, by far, the highlight of my week is right now. And uh, I'm excited to open God's Word. But before I do, I want to make a couple of things uh, known to our church family. Just share some things with you, kind of heart to heart, so we can pray. First of all, uh, Betty Keeney is going in for triple bypass surgery on Tuesday. Gary and Betty are just amazing members. They would have been in church this morning. I was notified, though, prior to the service that uh, Betty felt like maybe because of the seriousness of this surgery that it'd be good if she stayed home, just rested, and uh, awaited that uh, that triple bypass on Tuesday. So pray for them. Been members of our church for a little over a year. Wonderful people. I know many of you probably don't know Gary and Betty. Some do, but they are special people. And so I want to encourage you to pray for them. Kitty Pressler is also going to have a CAT scan on Tuesday as well. So if you can remember those names, Betty and then Kitty, and pray for them. And another reminder about our prayer line. Our prayer line is an amazing tool. It really is. You can call the prayer line any morning, any night, and listen to these requests. They're given daily, updated every single day. And so you're welcome to do that. The number is in your worship guide. Next, I want to bring to your attention something that we brought to the first service, and we've already had some some things that God is working together regarding this situation. Many remember about a year ago when Scott and Christy came our way. It was an amazing blessing. And Scott, isn't it hard to believe it's been a year, right? And Scott and Christy now are serving as our missions uh, pastors. They're doing a great job with that. In addition to that, we're able to support them after our last missions conference at a level where Scott can pursue the things education-wise he's needed to, to do in order for him to to go back to the mission field out of Gospelite as an international mission board member under the Southern Baptist Church uh, covering, if you will. So that's exciting. And listen, when they came, I say all this for a purpose. In just a moment, you'll see why. When they came, they, they were in somewhat of a desperate situation in a sense that they didn't really know what to do. <clears throat> they had made some changes that caused them to have to leave the mission field. Not changes that were wrong or sinful at all, but things that God was leading them into that because of religious tradition, others would not go in their direction. This happens, to, believe me, if you're in church work, this is, this is what's called growth and, and becoming more like Christ. You, you, you go through these seasons where you, you have some rejection, but then God provides someone to accept your direction and, and help you. And that's what we've done. And that's what they've done. And we have a great partnership. So I got a, a phone call a while back about another missionary in Brazil. Brazil, no? I think it's Brazil. Argentina, thank you, Argentina. Um, who has been serving there for years and kind of going through the same thing, some of the same stuff. Well, then this happened. I'll read it to you, and then I'll tell you why I'm reading it. Uh, Tuesday at approximately 2.30, this is about a couple months ago, November 27th, actually right at Thanksgiving, probably Thanksgiving Day or right around that. While I was at my kid's school in Argentina... Three men armed with handguns and Rambo-style knives forced their way into my house while my wife, Crystal, 
Gabriella 14, Vincenzo 3, and Giuliani 1 were home. They ransacked the house, cut out our mattresses looking for money, tied up my family with zip ties, and held a gun next to my one-year-old baby. Uh, baby said, threatening to shoot her and even threatened to kidnap one of my children and hold them for ransom. Money and artifacts were taken and so on and so forth. They came out of this unharmed but mentally stressed and really felt like they needed to, to make a long story short, felt like they needed to come back. He was obviously in a stronger place than his wife was. The children were after this incredible, you know, chaotic event, stressful event. Um, obviously, you know, Mentally, this would have been something hard for all any of us to get through. They come back to America for just a little while, and they, they've not been as well received. The, the pastor's taken the position more of, be tough, get strong, it's part of it, go back. And unfortunately, that, that he has his opinion, I, I have mine, and mine's been a little more, I think, compassionate towards their situation. So what we've done is we've offered them to come here for a week, settle in, and beginning tomorrow, and just heal some. Uh, and so I announced this in the first service. I was going to take up an offering, not in the service, but just throughout the week, if you wanted to give towards some housing for them. Had a family come up to me after the first service, kind of take care of that altogether. Housing is taken care of. They've got a house on the, uh, the river. They're going to let them stay. Still waters. Amen. Heal for free for a week. So that's a major blessing. So I wanted you to know they're here. I wanted you to pray for them. I wanted you also to know that we could potentially uh, also give, we don't need nearly as much as we would have needed. I was going to try to raise a thousand dollars just to take care of hotel for a week and then food for a week. So if you want to give something towards food to this family, they're going to be here from Monday to Monday. They'll be here next Sunday so you can meet them. And then honestly, I think they're coming mainly like initially Scott and Christy came just to pray, seek God's will, direction. What do we do? How do we go from here? Um, so that's, that's the story. So you know how to pray. This is not something that I feel like the pastor needs to bear on his own. The whole church family needs to know that, that we are being called upon in these, in these situations. And there's a reason. We don't know all the answers yet. We just know that we're going to minister to this family who went through a very chaotic mission field experience. And they're coming here for some healing for a week. And who knows what after that. So you can give online or in this service to an elder or to... A deacon, and they'll get the money to us so we can get it to them to help them and encourage them this week. Um, also, I wanted to mention this, that uh, Brother Robert Bax is a great friend of our ministries. He preached our missions conference, right? He told me uh, this past week that he's arranging a trip to Israel. He asked if our church would have any interest. I've never been to Israel. My wife's never been to Israel. I've always wanted to go. I just didn't never really consider going. I've never thought about it, never had it on the schedule. Brother Bax has, is hosting uh, this event. He would like for it just to be uh, Lighthouse in, uh, in Australia and Gospelite in America. So he said he's got 14 spots for our church. I said, I don't know. I don't know if I announced this, if anybody would even remotely be interested. It's a year from now. It's in January, the first part of January of 2020, about 10 days. Um, I'll get all the details. But if you're interested in knowing more about it, come see me. I can tell you more pr- about pricing, about if this is possible, we've got about 30 days to decide if we want to secure one, two, or all 14 of those spots to go to Israel. Brother Bax will be our tour guide, and we'll spend some time walking where Jesus walked. And again, it's a, probably on the bucket list of every Christian on planet Earth, including mine and Carol Ann's, and we've just never been. And so we thought about trying to go, 
but we need to see what your response is as well. So we'll be praying about that. All right. Well, let's get into God's word. Amen. Uh, turn to Colossians chapter three, Colossians three. And as you, as you turn there, I want to remind you a little bit about last week. Because last week, we addressed the theme of our church family. By the way, if you need a worship guide, raise your hand and the guys will get it to you. Just keep it up long enough to where they can give you one and you'll be well taken care of. That's all you need to do, up and down, and they'll get it to you. So we talked about last week the theme. uh, And and we've got actually ushers right after this service that will be standing at the doors as you exit. And they're going to give you, if you did not receive, the church calendar. We want you to get it, all right? We want you to have the list of events for the year and, and be able to post it in your, on your fridge or at your workplace. You can get as many as, as few as one or as many as five, six. It doesn't matter. We've got a lot. So take what you'd like for the first of the year and, and see what God has laid out uh, for Gospel Light this year. It's not everything, but it's a lot of what God's going to be doing this year at Gospel Light. So we gave that out in the first service. We'll do it again in the second service to those that did not get it last week. So the focus is the year of the church. And you'll notice on your worship guide there in the front, we're we're focusing on three areas. Our campus, our community, and our calling. So we take four months for each one of those. So in this year of the church, we're recognizing, first of all, that God has entrusted to us a campus. And our campus happens to be uh, 14 acres here in the heart of the city. We are a, a, truly a city church. It's a smaller city, but it's a city congregation. We are in the hood. Our ministry is going to be different than if it were located somewhere else. There's different uh, opportunities that you and I have. We're going to focus on our campus. I'll tell you more about that later on in the message. So that's going to be the first four months. Then we're going to talk about our community and our calling. So we're going to be stressing some things. It's not that every message is going to be about the church. Yes, the first three or four will, but we'll transition into other series of messages, but always coming back to the idea that God has given us a great opportunity by being a part of a church. So this morning, this message is about the kind of people that we need to be. Last week was about serving. The greatest is to serve. And and I'm excited that people have already begun to live that out. And maybe you're still in a place of prayer or maybe like me sometimes you've already forgotten about last week. Yeah, that was about service and I was going to get with somebody about a kingdom weekly responsibility and I never did. Don't let that lie. Don't forget that. Please, please consider one kingdom weekly responsibility. What an opportunity to serve God with your life once a week in the church, at the church, on the campus. I was excited this week that two of our girls in the high school came and said, hey, we want to paint a room in the kids' ministry. We said, we'll buy the paint, we'll give you the brush if you'll provide the labor. You know, that's the biggest expense is the labor, amen? So these two girls did a master, they finished up yesterday painting one of the rooms in the kids' building. Isn't that cool? That's service. That's amazing. Um, We had this week the opportunity to serve Rhonda Martin. Rhonda actually was in the 9 o'clock service. Bless her heart. Her husband passed away a week ago almost today. She, uh, she spent this week, you know, obviously uh, dealing with it, planning the homegoing service. We had a wonderful attendance Thursday, an amazing celebration of Mike's life. And you served. I loved it because one of the ladies in our congregation actually the day of the, of the homegoing said, Hey, can I do something? And we amazingly did not have somebody to serve the family. My wife and I were going out to the house to bring the food, but we needed somebody. To serve the family. 
this precious lady went, served for several hours, Rhonda's family in her home. Isn't that great? And you say, well, I could have done that. Well, sometimes we need folks to ask. And she asked. And so we, we had it done. It's amazing how we don't remember everything sometimes in the body of Christ. And we need God to be speaking to the people. And, and God spoke to her. She called. Amazing. Then I had a lady come to me just to share these testimonies with you. I'm not mentioning names. Just sharing testimonies. Because this is so cool. And she said to me, you know what? I'm older. And I just don't have as much of my health to walk, to work, to do the things that I'm sure you need done. But preacher... I'm going to pray for you every single day this year. Without fail, I've got your business card in my Bible. I've got your name in my devotional book. I mean, you are going to be prayed for, saturated, covered in prayer every day. And I'm like, wow, that's a great way to serve. Amen? To pray. You can do that. And so there is a place of service for you. That was last week. This week, we're talking about what kind of people do we need to be? Now... In light of that, I think it's worth us identifying the messed up world we live in. Because if you're like me, it can be pretty discouraging when we begin to think about the the world out there. It's pretty messed up. There's a lot of stuff. Hey, even in a city our size, there's a lot of things going on in this community that can be somewhat discouraging, somewhat dark, if you will. And so what we do is we, we can fall into the trap of, joining together every Sunday and look at this as this haven of rest, this peaceful place where we come and we hunker down for a couple of hours and we just sort of get a, a little encouragement and we go back out there and we fool around with the world for a week, try to survive it, come back for a week of nice, comforting, soft, soothing. That's not what God intended the church to be. Now, I look at the messed up world differently. Here's the way I look at it. I'll let you know a secret, Okay. I look at what's going on out there as an opportunity. That's all it is. Yeah, there's problems. Yeah, there's struggles. Yeah, there's things that are going on. But but the truth is, we've never had a better opportunity in the day and age in which we live where the church can form such a contrast to what is happening today in our world. You see, in the world you can find pain and rebellion, but in the church you can find joy and submission to God. In the world, people are angry and selfish. But in the church, people are kind and loving and forgiving. You see, in the world, people are empty and confused. But in the church, they're fulfilled and confident about their future. Or or they should be. In the world, people are mean and vengeful. But in the church, people should be gracious and loving. Listen, when the church will be the church some phenomenal things can happen. I mean, isn't that true? When the church is the church, and the church is not just a place to hunker down and get peace, soothing music, and and get a little regenerized just to go back out and, 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 and survive another week. This is not about surviving. This is about thriving. And I love our church. I believe in our church. I believe in the church. And therefore, I'm convinced that this is an opportunity gospelite, we are not everything God wants us to be. Amen? Isn't that true? I mean, that's why we prayed a prayer of confession this morning, admitting, God, we are not everything that we should be. But I'll tell you this, we're not everything we're going to be either. Amen? We're, we're going to be. We're moving forward. There's a vision. There's some things that God is working in us. God is at work here, and there's a powerful opportunity 
like never before to have an impact for Jesus. Now, we're either going to look at the church like that, or maybe somebody else has got another suggestion. But, but I'm suggesting this morning that the way to look at this opportunity is, wow, this is great. What do we need to do? What kind of people do we need to be? Paul said that Jesus said in Ephesians 5.25 that, that Jesus loved the church and he gave himself for it. And I'm convinced that we can do no less. So can I give you six affirmations of a great church family? These are six things that I believe if we could be, if we could be the church, we must be these things. Now, all of these things are found in, in Scripture. But I found a spot, a text in Colossians chapter 3 that addresses all of these things. The first thing that Paul addresses here to the church of Colossae is he says this. I want you, number one, I want you to accept people as they change. Number one, the first affirmation of a great church family is that church family, if they're going to be the church, is going to accept people as they change. Look at the text, if you would, at verse 12 with me. Would you do that? Verse 12 says this. Put on then. Put on then as God's chosen ones. Put on something. Now, this morning, I put on clothes. How many of you are really glad I did that? Amen? Is it, okay, thank you. I, 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 I'm glad. Those of you that didn't raise your hand, I'm not going to read into that too much. I put on some clothes. So what does he mean here? Put on. The word put on is mentioned 28 times in the New Testament. It's a lot of times. That's a lot of mentions of putting on something. The word put on here means simply this. It means that we are going to clothe ourselves with characteristics of Christ. We're going to put on some things. We're going to clothe ourselves with some characteristics that Christ has. And interestingly enough, he mentions five things in that verse. He says, first of all, put on, number one, compassionate hearts, tender hearts. Put on a compassionate heart. This is a characteristic that I want the church to have. To feel what others feel at a gut level. Compassion. I mean, to get right down in that mess with them. To say, man, I get it. Look, it's okay. I've been there. I understand. No judgment here. Acceptance. To feel what others feel at a gut level. Secondly, he says, the second thing I want you to put on is kindness. Kindness defined as a grace this morning. A grace that invades the entire being. This mellows anything that could be harsh. Oh my, how convicting it is for me to think of the times when, 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 when I was harsh. When my approach to ministry was, was a little bit more heavier on the side of being harsh than on the side of, of having grace and understanding and kindness. And I'm finding that although we definitely don't need just all of this over here, just the whole church just you know, loving and accepting and there's nothing wrong and everything's okay and whatever. But God forbid that there's all of this as well. Judgment and hellfire and split hell wide open. And come on now, anybody ever been there? But you know what I've learned after 26 years and I'm grateful for it? As I've wrestled on both sides of the fence, I've found that there is a balance 
That if a church can keep this, if a church can understand this, if a church can really get to the place where, where it understands that there is the truth that must be preached, that there's also a grace that must be felt when people come into the building. Kindness. And then meek, uh, humility. Humility meaning I'm others focused. I'm refusing to poison a relationship with self. Opposite of self-love. This is not about me. This is about others. And I'm okay with that in my relationships, in my church. I, I, this is not about me this morning. This is not about, uh, about Erica Page. This is about you. This, I, I love you and I'm here to serve you. There's an attitude of humility. Somebody comes into the building and they don't feel threatened. They don't feel like they shouldn't be there. They don't feel like, no, no, hey, we're glad you're here. We, we bring the same brokenness into this building that you bring. Humility. Meekness. Meaning a willingness to suffer the burdens that sin may impose. Ready to receive injury rather than to inflict injury. Not focused on my legal rights. Meekness. And then finally, he says, put on this, church. Put on patience. Put it on. It's a characteristic of Christ. It's called long-suffering or patience. I'm not driven by the behavior of others to react or strike back. And how often does this happen in the church where we, our, our first reaction is just to strike back and just to get angry and just to give our thought and give our point of view. No, no, no. Patience, long suffering. Now here's what scripture teaches. Listen, if you put on these things, you have an attitude of accepting other people. That's what scripture teaches here. Put on these things. And when these things are being lived out, in the church family, then guess what will happen? Is as others come, they will feel accepted. Because church, is this a true statement? Nobody has it all together. Amen. Nobody has it all together. And a great church is a church that can accept people where they are. And we want people to know that God loves them. But we also want people to know that God can make a difference in their lives. Amen. So, number one, we will accept you as you change. Number two, the second thing of affirmation of a, of a great church family is this. We will forgive you when you fall. We all fall in many ways, don't we? We all fall. Look at verse 13 in our text. Bearing with one another. If one has a complaint... Against another. Forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is releasing a person from the obligation that results when they injured you. That's what forgiveness is. I'm relieving you of the obligation. I'm relieving you of the payment. For what you did to me. It's forgiven. And if you are in a trap in your Christian life right now. If you're not going forward in your Christian life. You know what I've found it's linked to? Almost every time. As I've counseled. As I've pastored here for all these years. Most of the time when somebody is in a trap spiritually. They're not growing. They're not moving forward. It's linked to unforgiveness. And in terms of a church family. In terms of gospel light. In terms of this church family, in the year of the church, in terms of 
of, of a church family, there are no enduring relationships without forgiveness. So, this week, or a month ago, or two months ago, or whatever it was, I, I can't remember, it's a few, few, few weeks, maybe a couple months ago, the pastor at Christian Ministries, Tim Brooks, called me and said, Hey man, we're having a church ministries conference. And we always, we've been going to that as a church and uh, leadership. I'd love for our whole church to go. It's an amazing conference. It was better this year than it's ever been. I loved it. I went to every session, except for the Friday afternoon sessions. I missed a couple of those, but I went Thursday night, all day Friday, Friday night, all day Saturday morning. Loved it. Powerful. So he says, I want you to speak Friday morning. I said, what do you want me to speak on? He said, I want you to speak on how in the world have you stayed there for 26 years? I'm just repeating what he said. If you know Tim, you know this is how he said it, too. He's high energy. How have you done it? It's crazy. I've been here 32 years. But, but I, I, I know that you probably got it how you've done it. Now, maybe I've got how I've done it, but I just know this. Nobody's doing it. The average pastor staying 2.6, two years, six months. The average pastor, listen to this. They did research. Josh Barnett, their youth pastor, did research on how long a youth pastor stays. Get this. The average is six months to a year. We went through that here at Gospel Light. We had a period of time where, man, our kids were dealing with a lot of different youth pastors. It was tough. Man, listen, it, it, it's, it's hard. It, it is hard. It's challenging to stay at the same church. You know why? Unforgiveness. The only way that a pastor can stay for 26 years, because pastors are people too and they mess up. The only way that a pastor can stay is if people forgive him. <laughs> Amen. Again, I always like to say this. I hope you understand I'm not preparing you for some sort of a big-time announcement right now, you know. You know what I'm talking about when I say that. I mean, there are ministry disqualifications. I understand that. They're clear in Scripture. I've taught them here. But at the same token, there are so many things that just life happens. Pastors aren't perfect. We're all, we're all imperfect. In fact, to be honest, many times I, I've forgiven you. You have forgiven me. Because there's no... Listen, I've had to forgive my wife. She's had to forgive me. There's no enduring relationships without forgiveness. No one here is perfect. And when we let each other down, we have to be able to forgive. When one brings a complaint against another, we have to forgive. We have to be able to transition as friendships change over time. We have to be able to do that. It's okay that, you know, who you're, you know, you, you're really close friends 10 years ago may not be the same Friends they are right now, but that's okay. You don't have to be their enemies. Still be their friends, maybe not as close, and that's okay. You can still go to church together. We can still worship together. Amen. We have to transition those things over time. I want you to focus with, you, with me for just a minute because I don't know if this is really hitting home. So there's only one solution I know for this, and that is, and that is to try to find a way out of this truth because I'm looking for one. You? Is there any wiggle room here? The only way I know to figure out if there's any way to squirm out of this is to put the verse on the screen. And you tell me. Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Anybody got a way to get out of that? Can we wiggle out of that one? I don't see any way out. A great church family is going to forgive. Forgive others when they fall. Got to focus on that. This has to be our heart. We will be a great church if we forgive each other. And only if we forgive each other. 
Number three, the third thing I see here is this. We'll accept you as you change, forgive you when you fall. We'll love you no matter what. We'll love you no matter what. Look at verse 14 in our text. Word of God speak. Word of God speak. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love is the highest virtue there is. In other words, all those other things I told you to put on, compassionate heart, kindness, meekness, humility, all of that, above all that, put on love. Because love is what makes all that work. Love is above everything. There is nothing higher than love. Let me give you three things about love. Number one, it's the proof of discipleship. Love is the proof of discipleship. For instance, uh, Scripture says, John chapter 13, in verse 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another by this. All people, by what? By loving one another, all people will know that you are my disciples. That you're a follower of me if you love one another. Discipleship, true discipleship is... Loving one another. Number two, it's the proof of a false profession. Everybody who says they know Christ doesn't. Everybody who says they're saved isn't. Everybody who says they love God doesn't. Let's look at a scripture here. 1 John chapter 2. Whoever says he is in the light... And hates his brother, even though he says he's in the light, he's in darkness. He says this, but it's not true because he hates his brother, he's in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. But remember, remember what I said a couple verses. Whoever hates his brother, verse 11 is in the darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. He actually thinks he's in the light, but he doesn't know where he's going because he hates his brother. He's in darkness. He's blinded. He just thinks he's a Christian, but he hates his brother. He's not. See, Scripture says love is the proof of a false profession. Thirdly, love is the number one fruit of the Spirit. I mean, listen, there's a lot of fruits of the Spirit. Let me show you, let me show you that. Galatians chapter 5 says this, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Wait a minute, I'm, I'm sorry, I missed one. Love! Then it's all the others. Above all these, put on love. Focus on that verse. Above everything else, number one, before you do anything else, put on love. Because that binds us together in perfect harmony. Listen to me, church. You got you to you believe this. Because it's, it's just true. And you know it's true. And I know it's true. People in this world are hurting. People in this world are lonely. And I'm convinced if the church is going to be the church, that if word gets out, that if you get over to that place on 600 Garland Street, if you could just get over there, it's somewhere over in the middle of town. It's kind of a rough area. It's not the best area in town. It's not the biggest, bestest. They don't have all the technology. Sometimes like the, last, the lights flash a lot. 
kind of weird. In fact, last week I was there, the Baptist lights didn't even work. You might find a few stains on the carpet. It's kind of, it's not the nicest place in town. I got a decent coffee shop, but I mean, you know, it's not my, but I'll tell you one thing. They love you there. They love you there. You'll be loved when you get there. We fill this house multiple times on Sunday. You'd have to wear me. I'd have to preach five, six times a week. Put on love. Above every program, put on love. We used to have a lot of programs here. See, because we used to get together and just think, okay, we've got to have as many services in the week as we can have. Then we've got to have as many activities we can have. And we've got to just keep doing this and keep packing out the schedule and keep having this. And so we had all this stuff going on. And we've been adding some things back as we've taken so much off the plate. We've been adding slowly but surely back. But we had to scale back because, honestly, we were a church full of programs but not enough love. And now that we've understood, it's not just the programs that you can offer. Because you can have all the programs in the world, but if you don't have love. That's why we talked about service last week. Because you can't have a program without service. You can't have Celebrate Recovery without workers. How can you minister to those who are in addiction if nobody in your church really cares about the addicted? Unless we can minister to them on Sundays from 1045 to 115. Don't ask me to do anything. That's not love. Love says, hey, I, I'll serve. I, I, man, I get it. I get it. Love is the most important thing. How can I serve? Where can I find people to love? A lot of places now. Love. Because we're so loved by God, we must love other people. That's the church. Number, th- number four. We will submit to the peace of God thankfully. Because a great church family will have the attribute of peace. Look, if you would, please, at verse 15 in our text. Scripture says this, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. One of the greatest gifts that God has given to the Christian is the confidence that God is in control. It's it's such a contrast. Listen, if you've ever been to a homegoing service of a saint that dies in our church, most every time, again, it happened to be this time, but Thursday as I stood at the head of the casket and people walked by, I had total strangers saying, would you preach my funeral? It happens to me all the time, Butch. This is the strangest funeral I've ever been to. I just felt different when I was here. I mean, I I walked in sad, I left happy, and, and somebody died. I said, that's because we don't grieve like the world grieves. We grieve differently. We grieve, but not as the world. We have sorrow, but not as the world sorrows. We sorrow not as them. Why? Because of the peace of God. Rhonda was here this morning. I can't believe it. Rhonda showed up. That's crazy. I can't believe she came to church the the Sunday after her husband died. That's just crazy. She must not be really sad. No, she's still sad. She misses him, but she has peace. You think it came as a shock to God that Mike passed and went to heaven? You think I went, oh, totally forgot about that one. Mike's here. Really? He is. Had no clue. Well, tell him to come say hi to me when he gets a chance. No way. You think, you think God's still waiting to get the memo that Betty's having triple bypass surgery Tuesday? You think that memo's just on top of a bunch of sticky notes on his desk in heaven? And he's finally going to get to, guys, we totally forgot about Betty's triple bypass. Hurry, angels, get to, 
God's freaking out in heaven about that. Or, how do you think Betty's doing this morning? Let me tell you how she's doing. I went to her last week and I said, you know, this is how we do, right? I did it. I just, you know, no use in covering up the truth. I went to Betty. Betty, listen, we're praying. I had this real, you know, and I should have. I mean, this is, right? And I had this, and she said, oh, it's, preacher, I have such a peace. I am so ready for this. I'm like, okay, that's good, yeah. Uh, well, we'll be praying. I'm like, cool. I'm like, my approach didn't have as much effect as I thought it was going to have, you know, because Betty's like, God's got this. I'm going to be fine, preacher. You know, plus the other thing is this. Let's just say something goes wrong and I pass. I'm going to heaven. It's, it's good, preacher. It's good either way. You say, that's just strange to me. No, that's peace, ruling. That's peace in total control. That's God on the throne. Listen, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. This is the still waters beside the storm, right next to the storm or before the storm. That's what I'm hoping will happen this week for the Ferrari family. That they'll get here and they'll be like, experience the peace of God. I mean, to come back to, from the mission field after having been there so many years, start a church, build a church, pack out a church auditorium, reach a lot of Argentinians for Christ, and then have to walk away and leave abruptly and feel maybe like you need to be there, but, but know that your wife needs healing. And what do you do? And where do you go? And how do you find peace? Maybe in a local church body in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Maybe there's a few people that will just say, you know what, guys? We're going to be okay. It's going to work out. God's in control. Here, have our house. Here's a few bucks to go out and eat. Hey, listen, how can we help? That's what we're here for. We're one body. So as other things try to take over, we we have peace. What are some of the things that try to take over in our lives? Let me give you three things that try to take over the peace of God. Number one, my financial status. Oh, man. Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever been? Am I the only one? My finance. Thank you, Mark. My financial status. I need to be making more. I need to do more. I need to have more. I, I just, you know, I, 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 you know I, I need a raise. I need more. I need this. I need that. My financial stat. No, no, no. Wait. Here's what the peace of God says. That's not going to rule. Your financial status is not going to rule. Peace is. Number two, what about your marriage struggles? But you understand, preacher, it's just tough. I mean, I got these problems in my marriage and we're not doing so well. Yeah, I've been there. I've, no, I know what that's like. Yeah, I got it. Okay. Really? Yeah, I get it. Well, yeah, but not like mine. Mine's real. I mean, like my struggles are just different. It's impossible. You don't understand. No, 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 no. Let the peace of God rule. Not your marriage struggles. What about your work situation? Well, you know, I just I need a better job. And, you know, I'm just working on thinking about quitting this and starting another one. Or I don't know. Just I don't know if I. No, no. Let the peace of God rule. The word rule here is like an umpire at an athletic event. That's exactly what it means. Look it up. It's simple to, 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 to find. It literally says rule umpire. It's, it's like an umpire in a baseball game standing behind, you know, the plate, calling the strikes. Here comes the ball. Strike. Ball. Here's a hit. Foul. He rules. The umpire is like that piece. Something tries to come in. And the peace of God says, no, that's not coming in here. That's not taking control. That's not, uh, that, that's not going to be in charge. Peace is. The peace of God rules. Notice the word here, let. Let the peace of God rule. Let. That word let means what? 
means let. Let it happen. Just let it happen. Let the peace of God rule. God wants to be in control of your heart. God wants to be in control of your, your emotional health. So what's keeping this from happening? I guess everybody wants to know. What's the key to this thing? Pastor, that sounds good, but I just, I, I need that peace. I get it. So why don't I have it? Are you ready for this? Are you sure? I'm going to tell you why it's not happening. Ungratefulness. The reason why you don't let the peace of God rule is you're just not thankful. You say, Pastor, what do you mean? Well, look at the screen. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. What? And be thankful. What? Is that like, did you, add, did you write that in, Pastor? Is that like your version? No, no, that's actually in yours too. It's, it's there. Be thankful. God, add, God added that. God said, listen, let me tell you why the peace of God does not rule. Ungratefulness is the thing that defeats the peace of God. When we say, I want more. I need better. I need different. I need faster. You know what we're saying? God's not in control. God's not in control. God doesn't know what's best. I can't trust you, God. And there's an immediate loss of peace. Ungrateful. You see, both times in the New Testament, when the peace of God is mentioned, it's, it's connected to thankfulness. There's only two times in the New Testament the peace of God is mentioned like this. There's peace with God. There's other ways it's mentioned, but only twice peace of God. Colossians 3.15 and Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will rule or guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Peace cannot rule when we are not thankful. Just can't. So we have to be thankful. We have to realize God's good and God is good. And we have to dwell on the things that God is doing and and the ways that God's been good to us. But this isn't working out. But wait a minute, don't dwell on that. Don't let that in. That negative thought of just, you know, well, it should be better. I want this. No, no. What about the things that God has done? The things that God is doing? The the ways that God has blessed you. Be thankful for these things. Number five. I think the fifth affirmation of a great church family is we're going to speak the word of Christ richly. Speak it richly. Look, if you would, in our next verse, 16. And just look at the very first part of, of verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. What? Richly. I love that. Beautiful. Now, now let's talk about it for just a minute. Let's identify, first of all, what is the word of Christ? All right? Can somebody tell me? It's, it's, it's not a trick question. The word of Christ dwelling in you richly is what? The word of Christ is the, the Bible. It's the word of God. Very good. So the word of Christ is the word of God. So let the word of God, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word dwell means to settle down. It means to be at home. The word richly means abundantly or extravagantly. So let the word of Christ settle down. Let the word of Christ uh, be at home in you extravagantly. If I could give you one thing in our church family, if I could give you one thing, it would be this. It would be a passion for God's word. A passion for the word of God. A passion for it. That's why I take Sundays so seriously. 
Uh, That's why I take Sunday's sermon so seriously. This week's sermon I've taken very seriously. Why? Because I don't expect you to remember it past today. That's why. I don't expect you to remember it. Most people, when I ask them, hey, do you remember what I preached last week? They're like, "Uh, give me a minute. I know. Oh, wait. That's okay. I forgot to. Don't worry. (laughs) I don't know either. (laughs) I forget too. That's why my prayer for you is this. That the greatest experience that you have this week in the word of God would not be this. That God's word in this room will not be your high point of your spiritual life this week. Because if it is, guess what? You're going to forget it sometime later this afternoon while you're watching the football game. But, small group, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Morning devotions, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Memorizing scripture, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You see, God's word needs to live in us, settle down in us, be extravagant in us. Not just in one sermon every week, although I take this very seriously. But when the word of Christ dwells in me richly, it's not just an intellectual thing. It involves an emotional response. Passion. The word of God produces passion in our hearts. You see, the reason why I'm preaching this morning with passion is not just my personality. I'm really excited about this. This changes lives. It's not me. It's not what I have to say. It's God's word that dwells in us richly and extravagantly. It's amazing. It changes lives. It's changed me. Verse 16. If we read on, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing. Let's take just a moment and identify what those two words mean. Ready? Teaching and admonishing. These are two words that every pastor, every teacher should have. This is how you check out whether or not you're in the right body of Christ, the right church, or maybe how you check out if you're in the right small group. I mean, honestly, is there teaching and is there admonishing? Teaching meaning, am I learning anything? Am I understanding God's word? Because... Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, and then secondly, admonishing. Am I being rebuked? Am I being corrected? Am I being told there's consequences when I'm disobedient? That's admonishing. So, do you see the balance there? Isn't it amazing how God always brings balance to the table? He brings the teaching, the learning, the understanding, but he also says, then there's the correction. There's the, there, there's the rebuke if we are not uh, obedient to, to, to God's word. So, that's how we evaluate the pastor-teacher. Secondly, it says here, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. All right, time out. Oh, because I know I've always gone the default system on these. Like, okay, you know, psalms, that's the psalms. Hymns, that's like in your hymn book. And spiritual songs, that's contemporary worship. (laughs) That's what I heard someone else say. But when you really study it, and it doesn't take much to study these things, it really doesn't. It's, it, a lot of it is just right there for us. What are psalms? Psalms are psalms. That's the word. God says, sing my word. Sing the word of God. And that's when we take scripture and we put music to it. We sing the psalms. Number two, hymns. Are hymns really like only written like in the late 1800s, early 1900s? You didn't sing a hymn today, preacher. No, that's, don't, don't say that anymore. That's, that's not true. Hymns are not... Listen, this verse was written 18, 1900 years ago. Hymns are songs sung to God. It's vertical worship. 
It's what we did this morning. We sang hymns this morning. A song that is sung to God doesn't have to be an old song. It could be a new song. It's any song sung to God. It's not a song written in a certain age that we hang on to because, you know, we just got to keep singing these hymns. No, that, that, we, we should sing some of the hymns and we should, as far as the way we identify an old song, we should, we should really say it like this. Let's sing some songs in the 1920s. That's the way we should say it. That's more accurate than saying we should sing hymns. We should sing a song written in 1920. Okay, that's good. We should. But shouldn't we sing a song written in 2018 too? If it's vertical, if it's to God, a new song on our hearts, that's a hymn. And then spiritual songs. Spiritual songs are simply about testimony and witness and experiences that we've had. That's a spiritual song. And those are good too. So God says, I want you to sing psalms. I want you to sing hymns. I want you to sing spiritual songs. Songs that all involve God's truth. And then finally he says, I want you to do this with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Notice he said earlier in the scripture, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. So we're supposed to sing to one another and we're supposed to sing to God. Meaning this, one another, because when you and I sing passionately and worship God passionately from our hearts, then others around us see that passion, especially those who are lost or coming in here for the first time. And they see that passion. They experience the, we're a testimony of our love for God as we worship him. But then it says also to sing to God. That's what the worship team is trying to do every week. I thank God for our music here. I love our music. I love it. I love gospel lights music. Our worship time is where the glory and praise of God is our focus. It's where we lift up the greatness of God. And I love some of the things that we're trying to incorporate, some of the things we're trying to add, just the scripture and the word of God. It's just, I I can sense God's moving here to bring us to a better place of worship and what true worship is. And then finally, we're done. The last one is kind of a summary. If you check it out, I'll read it to you real quick. It's kind of a summary. Look at it. Whatever you do. I like that. Ah, ah, whatever you do. Let's close with this. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Number six, we will live for Jesus exclusively. Only for Jesus. Whatever you do, the word in word or deed, the word is what you say. Deed is what you do. So whatever you do, in word or deed, do it in Jesus' name. Listen, don't miss this. Act consistently with who you know Jesus to be. Don't compartmentalize your life spiritually. For instance, well, you know, I got my family life over here. Now, you know, we do our little family stuff. I mean, it gets a little, you know. Can't tell you everything we do over here because we, we do some pretty hairy stuff. We do some stuff. It's a little shaky. Not for everybody, but it's our deal. Our family life, you know, that's modest God sometimes, but it's okay. Yeah, it's because our family. And I got my business life. Hey, you know, I don't do everything right. You know, I, but hey, it's, you know, it's, what I do in church and what I do here is two different things. And I got my spiritual life. Well, that's, you know, Sunday mornings. Yeah, I. I put my worship on and get to church, you know. I know how to play the game too, Pastor. You see, the Christian life is not a game to play. It's not like three different games. It's not a family life, a business life, a spiritual life. It's all spiritual life. 
It's everything you do. Everything you do, all of it, family, business, church, all of it is for the glory of God. It's all your spiritual life, word and deed. This is so important. We live our lives exclusively for Jesus. This is the year of the church. And so we are talking about these first four months, our campus. And I want to do something here as we close the service. A little different. First thing I want to do is I want to ask our worship team to come forward as they sing a song called Thank You. Thank You, Jesus. The second thing I want to do is I want us to affirm these six things together as a church family. I want Nathan to put them individually on the screen. And if we could recite them together, if we could do that. A couple of homework assignments, but we're going to all do it before you leave. Amen? Let's say these together, shall we? Together. We will accept you as you change. We will forgive you when you fall. We will love you no matter what. We will submit to the peace of God thankfully. We will speak the word of Christ richly. We will live for Jesus exclusively. That, my friend, are the six affirmations of a great church family. And in this year of the church, that's our goal. In just the next week or two, we're going to be addressing in January, at the end of January, we're going to be addressing how we can come together as a church and, and look at our campus and be better stewards of this campus. The exterior and the interior. What are things that we can do to be a part of helping our church to, to minister as a campus in a better way? We're going to be presenting some of those things. I want our hearts to be ready. If you're new to our church, I know you're Listen, we don't do this every week. Don't get nervous. Don't be afraid. We did this in the first service. We probably had 15, 20 new folks and nobody ran out. It all worked out. But I want us, while they're singing, I'd like to ask us this week to just pray together. Uh, in your area, I'd like for it not just to be like family, but maybe if you're around some folks, you could just kind of form a six to eight people little gathering and could ask you to maybe just for a moment, maybe someone could could just come out and say, look, this is what God's speaking to me about in the message, or this is kind of some things that God's helping me to understand about the church, or this is some things I'm praying about, or maybe you've got a burden just want to share. I know that's what I did. I shared a burden with my little group at nine o'clock and man, they prayed over me and prayed for me and I prayed for them. And it was in that group that we came up with this house. These people could stay in for a week. It was amazing. I'm so glad I did that. I don't know that that would have happened had not we had that prayer time this morning. So I don't know what God's going to do, but I, I know it's only going to be three or four minutes while they're singing this song. So let's just do that. Could that be our response time today? And if you're a little nervous, I promise somebody in our church in just a minute is going to make you feel like you're part of this church for the next few minutes, alright? Let's do that as we're, and then Jordan will dismiss us in just a moment. Grace that flows like a river washing over